You're supposed to say hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Circle of Dads, the space for sharing stories about the struggles and triumphs of fatherhood and learning to become better men. Welcome to the Circle of Dads. I'm Ryan. I'm your host, and I'm here today joined with uh, Sergio Guadarrama. Uh, he's an officer with the Fort Worth Police Department and was so gracious to join me on a Saturday morning and just uh, kind of talk about some of the, you know, not skeletons in the closet, but just some of those little things we carry around, man. Um, you know, what attracted me to reach out to you was a post that you posted a while back on Facebook. And um, do you want to sum it up, paraphrase it? A few weeks ago, we lost a fourth police officer to suicide, and he was he was a newer officer. I didn't know him personally, but I know a bunch of his classmates and teammates. And uh, like I wasn't my post as far as my post, I wasn't gonna try to I mean assume what he was going through. I didn't I don't know what he was going through, but it was uh, news that hit us all pretty hard. You know, all over the country. We, we're, we, we keep hearing stories of officers committing suicide. And the number that came out at the beginning of the year was we lost 158 officers to suicide over 2018. It's one thing to hear about it, read about it, but when, it's, when it affects your own police department, it, it hits pretty hard. There was a, uh, a study in 2018 from the Ruderman Family Foundation that found the amount of officers who died by suicide was triple that of who were shot in the line of duty. It's tragic. Yeah. Cities with chronic violence or gun violence and higher murder rates are like, like the Chicago Police Department is 60% higher than the national average. Yes. And I, th I don't know the number, but there were, was more than one that committed suicide while on duty, either in the police station or in their police vehicle. And that's just... He just... This this it? Yeah. Kind of that last little yep. broken shoelace or yes. whatever did it. It's hard to understand. Put yourself in their position where they think that this is the only way out of my situation, out of the hell going on inside of my head and my life. And to reach the point where they feel that this is the only solution. It's just, it's heartbreaking. It's tragic and it should never happen. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's, um, everybody's different and, and, uh, and, uh, even, even think that you could fathom what a person is going through at that particular moment, because I've shared about it before. I mean, that's something that I've struggled with my whole life is just, uh, depression and, and, um, suicidal thoughts and, and just, you know, even gotten as bad as whether it was I'll show them or as I grew up, it was I just want this to stop and not being able to see past your nose, you know, and don't make a long term decision for a short term problem. Right. And, you know, later on in life, it was kind of started turning into everybody would just be better off yeah. without me, you know, and thankfully I've, I, I got help for that. And it's not I mean, it's not an issue anymore, but. You know, that darkness will still creep in. And I know it, it, that doesn't mean that it doesn't still show up. It's just I deal with it a lot differently. Right. It affects me a lot differently. So what personal experience have you had with this? I would say that I, growing up, I, I lived maybe a sheltered life, I guess you could say. Right. Uh, I was very close to my family. I went to private school from kindergarten through my freshman year in high school. So my exposure to really the outside world was very limited. My sophomore year, I went to public school, finished off there. My decision to become a police officer was in February of 95, I believe it was, when I went on my first ride out. So my cousin is a fourth officer and he, we had lots of talks about the job. And it's one thing to hear about the job Experiencing it is something totally different. So, as far as my experience, I've, I'll, I'll hit my 20 years in April, and I've seen some stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll attack it from this. In 99 is when I went to the academy. And so you go in, and they 
keep you in shape. You know, you, they teach you everything they can about the law, Texas Penal Code, Code of Criminal Procedures. They, they teach you how to handle different calls. They teach you to be proficient in marksmanship with your pistol. They teach you to do your control tactics, your, you know, defensive tactics. They do their very best to prepare you for that part of the job. But they'll, what they never can prepare you for is the things that you're going to see. And that became evident, you know, months out into the, in the field. When I guess when I started, there wasn't a real emphasis on mental health. There wasn't. They, they, they told us about, you know, there's a psychologist available to us. If you're having problems, you can reach out to him and talk to him. And, and that, that was basically, that was it. That was the protocol. Yes. And, you know, now, you know, let's fast forward 20 years later. Now there's, we have a peer support team who, and it's made up of, all, of officers. And if you need to talk, you just pick up the phone. It's confidential. And that's what our officers use. Now, I don't know if they emphasize that more in the academy, academy now, but I know that when I went through, there just wasn't an emphasis on it. So you can call other other guys that have that have been on the streets. Yes, I mean, so it's not just some shrink that happens to be a cop. No, it's no, it's, it's guys it's, like you that are you know hard knuckled and have seen some things that you've seen. Yes, so you can you can you can call someone and be vulnerable with another man, which is not something we're good at. And yes. tell them tell them all your shit. Absolutely, and they get it. Yep, I mean, and that's and it doesn't have to. And then they have, there's a list of the peer support officers, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to, you don't have to call just somebody from that list. So in my experience and what I've used is my, t- my teammates, you know, my teammates, they're, I mean, they're my family that I work with every day. So if I'm having issues, I reach out to them and, uh, other, op- other officers who not in the, within the same department, but other police officers. Uh, so we, you just have to have that person that you can call and say, hey, I'm going through this, I need to talk. And that's something that it's hard for a lot of people to do. I think there's, some, that's some, there's a stigma sometimes attached to reaching out for help. So weakness. People, yeah, they think it shows weakness. Well, on the contrary, I think reaching out for help is probably the bravest and strongest thing you can do. When there's it's, a, it's not easy. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the, the whole deal that we're taught is from when we're boys, it's like you don't cry. You got to stuff that shit down and, and just be tough. Yep. It's like, yeah, well, that's, you could do that, but you can only do that for so long. Yes. It's the guy that knows how to moderate his emotions and control them and, and, and share these things. And the whole deal about sharing weight, let, let, you know, like carrying weight for your brothers or however you want to say it, there's some strong power in that. Yes. And uh, I've experienced that. There's things that, you know, I would have taken my grave so to speak, and, and wouldn't have shared them with anybody. Right. But then they start eating at you, and you share them with somebody, and they're like, oh, man, that ain't nothing. Right. Or, I get it, man. You know, just someone to understand that you've done something or, or saw something or whatever, felt something. Yep. So, yeah, it's good that you have that. So early, I mean, early on in my career, one of the more traumatic experiences for me was when actually when I was in the police academy. One week we were at the range, it was our week at the gun range, and we were off during the day and we came in at night. One of these days, it was the middle of the week, I came across a, an accident on Brian Irvin. And I, I had pulled, drove up right after it had happened, and so I, I saw it was an accident between a car and a van. The van had T-boned this sedan coming out of an apartment complex, so I pulled up ahead of it and got out, and there was a woman driving and there was a little boy in the passenger seat who blood came from his head. And as it turns out, she was already gone. The, the little boy was crying. Turns out he had a skull fracture. Well, that was, that was really, aside from my family going to a funeral, uh, seeing my family members in a casket, that was the first time I had ever witnessed death. death. Yeah. So I remember I, you know, police, ambulance, firefighters, they showed up and, and I take out my information, I left. And I drove right to my mom's. 
uh, went to her house, rang the doorbell, she answered, and as soon as I saw her, I lost it. I broke down like a baby, bawling my eyes out. It just, it, just that being the first time of seeing something like that, I mean, it hit me and it hit me hard. You know, my mom, my mom being a mom, you know, she consoled me and, you know, and she told me, she's like, mijo, she said, you're going to, this is, you're going to see stuff like this. I said, I know. But that being the first time really hit me hard. So different things trigger different reactions for me in that situation. I'll never forget the smell of like the metal and when the airbag goes off, that smell brings back memories of that all the time. And, and I've been on countless fatality accident calls, but that never, that smell always stays with you and it triggers that. That's the one. Yep. You know, Debbie uh, Dunbar, the one was on my first episode, she's talked to me about that, about different trauma and how it can, how it can kind of leave its imprint and you don't get to pick it, Nope. you know, um, and how it, how it brings things back to the surface. And that's why like her therapy, the EMDR therapy is so, um, effective because it kind of reshuffles the deck and filters. I'm, I'm butchering that, yeah. but you know, I mean, it's, that's a hard thing to see. Yep. And that, okay. Oh, no, we're just, we're, and it's been said time before, time and again, that we're not meant to see those things. Sure. We're, and, but we do, and that's, it's part of the job and it's how you process it. You either process it well, or you don't process it at all, or you process it poorly. Um, the the big big problem that we face first we need to understand that we're human first. Yeah, we put on a badge, put on a uniform, put on our gun belt, put on our vest, and we go out to save the world. But we have to understand that we're human first. We are. Those things that we see they affect us. It's it, it's ine- inevitable. And it's, it's to which degree that it affects you and how you handle it is how you're going to come out of this. You know, there's the problem that we have is, and I went through it myself, alcohol. You know, I worked the midnight shift for 14 years. And there was nothing for me to come home after my shift in the morning and pop three or four beers. Yeah. And that's not healthy and I wasn't able, I was doing it to numb myself basically unwind and just right quiet all the noise yes so, so you, you I mean, and that's and that's you know they turn people you know turning to alcohol turning to uh, drugs uh, sleeping pills you know not prescribed you know not prescribed drugs just to numb yourself I mean that's not healthy and there's there's a reason for it why they do it but it's it's not healthy and it only compounds the problem and that's that's where a lot of officers i feel they that, that's where they find themselves and they're not they're not able to escape that and it makes it worse and then now they're they, dealing with an addiction right so it's i mean it's it's just it's how you process it and how you deal with it and having a having a, a event as someone to vent to or getting a hobby you know fishing hunting, reading, something, something help, helpful, healthy and productive, aside from going to the bottle and popping pills. Checking out. Checking out. You know, and it's, it's um, a way to deal with it, and, and we're not taught how to deal with anything. No. I think they should teach that in school, you know, in middle school and high school, how to, how to moderate your emotions, yep. how to navigate through that stuff. We don't have an issue with toxic masculinity. We have an issue with assholes that don't know how to I, treat I people. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with, I mean, there's toxic feminine or feminism. Yep. Um, People are just toxic, you know, because we, we get, because we all get dinged up. All kinds of shit happens. No getting around that. Even if you're an accountant or whatever. I mean, something happens. And if you don't know how to process it, if you don't know how to vent that, then it's just going to build and compound and and you're going to turn to other things. Just like you were talking about. And I mean, eventually that, uh, that bucket's going to get overfilled. Yes. Then it all comes out. Yep. And it manifests itself in the worst kind of ways. Problems with relationships, problem with the job. I mean, it's, 
yeah, it's going to overfill and it's going to just, it's going to come out, it's going to manifest, manifest it so badly. And so got to have a way to, to unwind to, like you said, just detach yourself from everything, have a, that person to talk to or people to talk to or, you know, just, or detach yourself by, you know, talking to somebody who has no, no law enforcement experience or first responder experience, find person, somebody who doesn't know about that, that, about that. And, you know, speaking with them. Not because I have a lot of friends who are not in law enforcement that I speak to, and it's a, it's a, a good way to detach yourself and you know, hey, what's what's going on here with you? And instead of me, you know, telling war stories about you know what I've seen and you know the the horror stories, the the uh, oh yeah, this homicide scene I was on, this guy's brains are everywhere. You know, that's sometimes you got to detach yourself from that and talk to people who don't experience that on a day to day. Do you feel that? Um when you're talking to guys like that and they're, they're complaining about their boss or they're complaining about, uh, you know, little Timmy's soccer coach and he just doesn't play him enough and, or whatever, you know, his sister's new boyfriend, whatever it is. And you're sitting there listening and are you like, fuck you, man? Like I just pulled a baby out of a car. I don't care about his soccer coach. Is it, do you find that you kind of almost alienate yourself from people that way? I try to not think that way because when I hear them complaining about stuff like that. Right. And I think about my day. Well, what, what they're going through, what they just experienced, that's bad. Right. Not, it's not close to what, in my opinion, what I just did, but it, on the, in their mind. It's all relative. It's, it's all relative. It's, yeah. it's, it's bad for them. So you got to listen to them and say, hey, man, oh, man, that, that sucks. And, when I, and then telling them my story and then their eyes get this big and I don't, I don't want to sit here and say, well, you know what, what you're going through, that's nothing compared to what I went through because, well, they don't know what I went through. They don't know what I've seen. So I try not to say, you know, not to make light of what they're going through. Right. But it's just, like, it's all relative. Well, that's important. I mean, you can be empathetic of anybody's situation and put yourself in their shoes. I mean, that's compassionate. You know, I mean, and that's, that's kind of the basics of not being an asshole. Right. You know, like, oh, I've, I've done this and I've done that. And so your stuff is just minuscule. Like, right. no, it's, it's, I mean, it sucks. Yep. Everybody's going through something. Right. Everybody, everybody is going, everybody is going through something. Some, something major, something not so major, but it's affecting them somehow in a bad way. And you don't know, <clears throat> you know, I talk about like a broken shoelace all the time. And, and I've, I mean, that, I use that analogy because I, I was taught that in recovery, but I've had that happen to me. Um, boot laces, you know, because like my work boots and they get burned. And so you'll be tying them and they snap and, and then that's just the final draw. And then you're throwing them through the window, you know, I mean, you just right. completely lose your shit over something small because of all this other stuff that you haven't you haven't addressed, right? You haven't done the emotional maintenance that I don't even want to say that you need to do because how would you, even this, well, you do need to do it, but you're unaware of it, you know? And then it just, it all comes out. Right. So, you know, you're a young cop and you're coming up and and you had this idea of what the job was going to be like. What was the biggest surprise? Like, what was the biggest, this is not what I thought this was going to be, you know? Gosh, you know, I never, well, like I said, I was, I, I was raised, I maybe lived a sheltered life. I, it was just amazing to me how, how bad people are, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. how evil people can be in over something so, so petty. Yes. And that was, you know, that, and that was a, that was a big eye opener for me. There's in 20 years. There's one thing, there's a couple of things that I'll never get used to. And you know, there's a lot of people probably listening who will agree with me. You might even agree, agree with me. I will never get used to the smell of vomit. It's, a, it's, it's I've, you know, I've been around it a lot. You know, it's inevitable you're going to be around it, especially when you work at midnights and working with, you know, dealing with drunks and whatnot. But it's something I'll never get used to. I don't care how many times I see it, it's just not going to happen. Um, and I will never get used to seeing children hurt that's something that i will never i'll never come on a scene of a hurt child and say oh, okay well i've seen that before 
no big deal. No. That, and I just had an experience with that a couple of weeks ago at Cook's, at Cook's Children's Hospital. And it had been a while since I'd been on a scene with the hurt child, but that night it just it brought back uh, just a whirlwind of emotions for me. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a pretty bad one. But the thing is, looking back, you know, I've, I remember there sit, being there at Cook's Children's, and we have a child who had passed away, and I'm sitting there guarding the room, and I'm sitting there thinking of all the calls that I've been here at Cook's, all the bad calls. And it's just, I, that's just something you never get used to. And I took that home with me, and I talked about it, and I vented and talked to my teammates about it. And they're, you know, my teammates like, yeah, that's pretty bad. It's heavy shit. Yeah. So that's seeing the, the damage that people do to each other. That was a big eye-opening uh, thing for me early on in my career. And it's, well, it still amazes me today sometimes. And you have just one daughter? Yes. yes. Your only child? 17, 17 years old. That's terrifying. Yeah, very terrifying. She drives? She drives. Well? Yeah, well, yes. Yeah, she's very cautious. She's a good driver. She can't help what other people do. No, no. Um, you know, when I had a gory movies and action, one thing I could never really handle was like seeing someone break their ankle. I don't know. That's just not something. I, there's something about it that just grosses me out. Uh, yeah. Because uh. I've done it to mine, so maybe that's it. But once I had a daughter, I cannot watch movies that are, I mean, if a child gets hurt, there's no freaking way. Mm-hmm. If anybody gets abducted or anything like that, I don't want to watch it. It's amazing how much those kids just, oh, yeah, no, you're right. They make you vulnerable to that. Yep. And it's, and it's, um, it's difficult. A friend actually, and I won't, I won't say his name just out of privacy, but, um, he's a member of the group, the circle of dads <laughs> and he, um, his daughter just started driving. I mean, like, I don't even think she got her hard copy in the mail yet. Just started. And she got in a terrible accident. Oh. You know? And um, it was a head-on. It was just, it was nobody's fault. It was just, uh, uh, just a thing, you know? She wasn't on her phone or anything like that. And she had her little brother with her. And it beat her up pretty good. I mean, she's fine. Yeah. Not She's not fine. She's got a road to recovery. But she's... Um, Traumatic. Yeah, I mean, she... Yeah. she uh, it's just in an instant, you know, mm-hmm. and to go and I imagine see somebody fighting over something stupid yeah, and inflicting pain on a child. It's like you monster. Yes. Like when several years ago, long story short, a stepdad beat his 18 month old because he spilled carpet, I mean, food on the carpet and rode it in. See, he's and he ended up killing him. I was, yes. And, uh, he said, of course, he said, he, you know, the kid fell and whatnot. Well, this kid had, a la- had her lacerated liver, basically bled to death because they couldn't stop the bleeding. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, he, he fell, and the uh, detectives doc- got to talk to him. I finally got him to admit, yeah, I punched him a couple times. Well, you know how you have to punch a kid to lacerate their liver? I mean, it's something like that over food. And that one to this day, that one still haunts me today and where the hell did he learn to have that reaction uh who knows you know what i'm saying i mean you can i mean sure you can't cure all the evil in the world but you can start with your kids right don't be the type of guy that will teach a kid to react that way right yep and that wasn't even yeah it was his girlfriend's son wasn't even his son oh man yeah that was i got to put the handcuffs on that guy I'm taking my jail. Nice and snug. That was, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. They're pinching a little bit? I don't know. I didn't ask. God. Man. Um, <laughs> you know, our mutual friend, Big Andy, He uh, he's told me stories about um, having to sit across from, like, these people. Yep. Someone that's molested a child or raped a child or a baby, and, and just you have to just sit there and just be cool. And I'm like, oh, please. And... God help whoever is sitting in front of Andy that day. He decides to not be cool anymore. Right. There's a lot of. Be a bad day. That's a big. That's a big, capable a big man. man. He's a capable guy too. 
Um, so what made you want to be a cop? I get asked that. Uh, I go to a lot of career days and talk to kids, and you know they want us to talk about how what made us want to be a cop, police officer. And uh, well, I, I was growing up, you know, I was just like any other kid. I was exposed to the cop shows on TV. You know, Chips, T.J. Hooker was a big one for me. I love T.J. Hooker, and that was the most experience I got. And then when, of course, when cops. The series started, you know, that's, that was a brand new type of show and you know, that really drew me in. But I was, in high school, I was torn between uh, law enforcement or criminal law. Uh, when I was in the seventh grade, uh, my mom used to work at the Mervins over on Hewlin and South Drive, over there used to be the Mervins there. And oh yeah, I remember that. It was December of 89, I believe. There was a murder there. One of the um, loss prevention guys hid in the hid in the dressing room one night as they were closing up, and while the ladies were counting money in the at the uh, customer service, he robbed them. And uh, one of the ladies recognized him, and he started stabbing him, killed one of them. The other one lived, and that really kind of that sparked my interest in law, like criminal law. So. In high school, I was torn between criminal law and law enforcement. Well, I was, the decision to become a police officer was when I was 18. My cousin, who was a fourth officer as well, he asked me one night if I wanted to go on a ride out. He'd come up on, on a Saturday, on a Friday night, said, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, I don't know. He goes, you want to go on a ride out? I said, what is that? He goes, well, you just come to work with me, you sit in the driver's side, well, with the passenger seat, well, I do my job. Like, Absolutely. So... Met him in his apartment, and I started that night not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. I ended that night knowing I want to be a police officer. So it was that ride out that was the deciding factor for me. So that was that was it. I saw the job firsthand from the passenger side of a police car and decided that's what I want to do. How old were you? I was 18. So I had a different view from police cars when I was 18. <laughs> it was a completely different yeah. perspective. Uh, and I did not want to be a police officer at that time. Understood. So you knew that you got, um, I'm kind of bouncing back and forth here, but you, so you, you've seen these different things and, and you know that they put little chinks in your armor or however you want to say it, you know, a little ding here and a little ding there and you just kind of push them away or you deal with them or you, you know, you're crying on your mom's front doorstep and yeah. are you doubting your capability as a man and as a police officer at that moment, you know, and like, is this, am I supposed to be reacting this way? I need to be tougher than this or, or how, how do you all the above? Yeah. And then you just, just keep what faking it till you make it. And for me, detaching myself from the job is not as easy as I've come, come to my, it's not as easy as I'd want it to be, um, you know, yeah, the, the, the whole part about being weak, like you said, you know, early in my career, keeping your composure after seeing something horrific, you, you try to be strong because, you, like you said, don't want, you don't want to seem weak. Well, there, kind of, there, came, there comes a point where there came a point in my career where I just I couldn't hold it in, especially on, while on the job after a call. I never told anybody this, but after a call, I would go find a dark parking lot. I'd cry my eyes out. And uh, that's, that was a release for me. Now, I'm able to process things better. I didn't, uh, like I said, I would often used alcohol to mask the pain when I cut home from work. But you can't do that while you're on shift? Nope. Or at the soccer game or no. wherever? No. You know? So... There was, I guess early on in my career, there was a stigma attached to not being able to gut it out. You know, mm -hmm. suck it up was what they told us. You know, you're going you're gonna to see some, you're going to see some bad stuff out there, but you need to suck it up. Well, you know, sucking it up doesn't mean keeping it all in. Sucking it up means asking for help, talking to somebody. And that's, that's the, that's the important step. And you know, talking about the, you know, like I said, the numbers from last year, 158 officers committed suicide. I don't know if they made that step. I don't know if they reached out to anybody. Uh, I guess you would have talked to the people closest to them. 
if they did. But I think that's, I mean, it's, it's an important step. And I think it's something that people, I mean, police officers, I can only speak for police officers. I can't speak for firefighters or paramedics, but it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to admit that I'm struggling. You know, I'm, I'm seeing faces, I'm, I'm having bad dreams. I'm, the voices, I'm, the screams that I'm hearing, you know, I, I can't, I need, I need help. And that's the, the once that's the step that you, asking for help is the biggest step you can make and then following up. Cause you're not going to be cast out. No. Well, and, and that's the thing. That's, I think there is a fear that early on, I mean, early on in my career, that was, that was, that was a real fear for me that I don't want any, any of my teammates or any of my fellow officers to think that I can't do this job because yeah, I saw something bad and, I'm struggling. I don't, I don't want them to think that I can't do this job because of what I've seen or what I've heard, what I've smelled, you know, that, that all that affects you. But I think slowly here, especially here recently, that stigma has fallen away. And hopefully people, officers are realizing that you can ask for help. There's nothing wrong with asking for help, talking to somebody. And like I said, it, we're human first. And if you, it's what we see, what we do, what we hear, it's not going to not affect us. It is. And that's as soon as you come to grips with, with that, then I think hopefully asking for help, reaching out doesn't, isn't as difficult as it might seem. That, uh, that phone gets heavy, though. Yes. So as you're doing that and as you're stuffing it, because, you know, it's interesting, you know, you were told suck it up, suck it up. And, that, and that's literally what you're doing is you're just sucking it up, internalizing it, not doing anything else with it. Right. It's like, hey, maybe we could say brush it off, cast that shit to the side, drop it. I don't know. But I know that like um, carrying that weight, the weight of that burden around and not sharing it is hard with anything, you know. Um, it's like a little, well, I don't want to, it's not like a little kid, but an example would be when you have a little kid that has a big secret and they're just vibrating because they can't. They can't, they're just like holding their face shut because they want to tell you so bad. Right. It reminds me of my daughter doing stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I know with, uh, well, I don't know. I, it's my understanding that a lot of guys that are vets, for instance, uh, can't really go to the VA for help because if they end up on disability because of their PTSD, mm -hmm. then that affects their ability to do outside contract work, you know, as yeah. uh, overseas or whatever it is, right. because if they lose their clearance. I probably am butchering that, but that's, from what my understanding is, um, y'all don't have to worry about that because y'all are on the job always. Right. Um, so you see these things happening and, and you're kind of like stuffing it down and, and you're trying to be tough cause you don't want to be weak. And, and I'll tell you, man, I'm sure that I'd almost guarantee that you're not the only dude that's cried in a squad car by himself. Oh, I know. For, yeah, no. You know what I'm saying? It happens. Like, um, that's, that's, I imagine that would be what I'd do. You know, because there's, uh, there's just, so do you like whenever you're falling asleep, you're talking about the screams and stuff. So uh, I know for me, like right as I drift off and I don't have the same experience because I haven't seen, I'm, I'm not in law enforcement, the dead people I've seen, I mean, that leaves a lasting impression. They look different. Well, you're, you're referring to the, the post that I made a few weeks ago. Yeah. And I, I think I, I explained in that post that what my personal hell is. For me, it's, it's, it's faces of people who, from dead people on scenes. That's something that sticks with me. I can still see. Just like an image. Yeah, different faces. Like in your mind. And right now, the, the most fresh image for me is a six-week-old six infant. Um, I can still hear screams. Screams of pain, screams of uh, pain from being in pain, uh, grieving screams. I can still hear screams. Mm. And it's doesn't it still affects me, but it doesn't affect me to where it debilitates me to where I can't live my life. I deal with it. But you still hear them. I still hear them. I have very active work dreams. Just about every night I have a work dream of some sort. Some are not so, you know, 
nothing really going on, but I'm, I'm working and others shootouts where I'm being shot at, I'm being shot or, uh, somebody I care about is being shot at or, and those are still just about every night. But I just, I, I deal with it. It's just, it's for me, it's, it's just part of my life. I mean, you're a police officer 24 seven. When, when, when you're in a, when you have to be in such a hyper vigilant sense for eight, 12 hours a day, it's hard to come down. And when it's, it's going to manifest itself in some way. And for me, it's, it comes out in my dreams. Yeah. So would you come in? I mean, I already know the answer to this question, but so you come in home, you come home with it and that affects everything. I do my best to leave. Like there, there's a saying, you got to leave your, your badge at the door. Right. Okay. I've, for the most part of my career, I've been able to do that. Okay. But every once in a while it, it still creeps in. So, and it, for me, it, it's, it's dreams. It's, um, uh, different. I, I, like I said, if I, I'm, if I'm out somewhere and I hear somebody scream, it, that can trigger something. Sometimes I've, I've heard that scream before, uh, faces, you know, it, it still, it still seeps in. But for me, I'm, I'm able to process it better now because I'm able to vent better now. You have tools. Yes. You have a method. I have a method. So daughter runs up after work and comes up and hugs you. No, um, oh, no, 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 sh- no hip toss and choke hold or anything nope. like that. Like, nope. oh, sorry, baby. No, I've kicked in my dreams. I've delivered knee strikes in my dreams. Got to be ready. Yep. And, uh, but no, my daughter gave him, run up and gave me a hug. That's the best, best feeling ever. Yeah. Cause she's 17. 17. So you got to enjoy those moments. Oh, yeah. it? Cause they changes day by day. Mm-hmm. Every day. Do you ever just kind of like, what the hell did I do today? <laughs> Yeah. Cause like my daughter's 12, she'll be 13 in April. And, uh, she's such a cool kid, you know I mean? She's high energy and got a lot to say and says crazy shit and makes stuff up and whatever. I guess all little girls do that or all kids do that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, but, um, she's a cool kid, but when she's mad at me, it's when they were young and it's like, dad, you're being mean. Cause you wouldn't give her a cookie or whatever. And it's like, okay, yeah, yeah well go do your thing. But now when they're mad at you, it's, it's like having a wife mad at you <laughs> or, I mean, you really got to do some work to get this yeah. shit smooth and you really didn't even do anything. Yeah. You're just being, you're just doing your job Yeah. and to be hated for doing your job is, um, I mean, what is, what experience is that? Or how's that experience for you? Because it, it's not easy being a cop now or a police officer. No, I, I mean, I would say for, I mean, Fort Worth. I think I'm lucky to be an officer here in Fort Worth. It's a great town. It's a great town. We have a lot of support. Uh, for example, when uh, when, Garrett, when Officer Hull, Garrett Hull was killed back in September, the support that this town showed when it happened in the week you know, leading up to the funeral and even after, the support here from this city was amazing. Um, my neighborhood, which I'm, my beat is in the central Fort Worth. It's West Magnolia, the Fairmount Ryan place area. Uh, we had residents put up blue bows all along Magnolia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the support that we, that we received was just, it was overwhelming, overwhelming support. And we're, and we're lucky because I've visited cities up in the Northeast, New York, for example, I was up with my family up in New York, and this, it was winter of 2014. And I remember we were out at Rockefeller Plaza, and there's a lot of NYPD around there. So whenever, whenever I could, I would go up and talk with any of them that are on duty, and I'd talk to them about, uh, you know, the job. And they would one one conversation in particular really hit me hard. He asked me. Hey, do y'all do y'all have a lot of support down where y'all are at? Down here, where you, where you come at? Fort Worth. Do y'all have a lot of support? I'm like, oh yeah, we have a lot of support. He's like, he looked at me, he shook his head. He's like, man, because they hate us up here. And that really, that I mean, that really affected me because that, I literally reacted to that physically. I looked back, like, they like, hate how, like how could that be possible? Yeah, cause, and it all depends on where you work. Because here, they love us. There, his impression of the public, they hate us. So, and it was, 
Less than a week after that was when two NYPD officers were shot and killed sitting in their police car up in Brooklyn. So, yeah, we're, I mean, we're blasted with social media, you know, with, there's a lot of resentment and hatred towards the police. But overall, you know, it, it, it is hard. It is hard because we get lumped in with, something bad happens somewhere, okay? There's a snippet of a, of a, you know, a Facebook video, and then everybody immediately, it gets blasted on social media, and then everybody immediately jumps up and says, oh, that cop's a murderer and racist. And, and then they're not just blaming the officers that are involved in that incident. Well, they're, they start blaming every officer. Or they're not looking at the whole video. Exactly. And, I mean, we, we saw what happened in Dallas on July 7th, 2016. Um, a guy who was mad at police officers ended up killing five Dallas officers because he was mad at police overall. So it's... You're talking about here a couple in, years? Yeah, in Dallas. One of those was uh, uh, Cody, the Coffee with Cody episodes. It was his cousin. Oh, really? I mean, it's just... Yeah, that was that was bad. I remember sitting at home watching that, feeling help, so helpless. You know, I think every one of us, I remember when, I started, when news of that started coming out, I think every, we all started testing each other on Facebook, and then we all, we all wanted to jump in our police cars and head over there. Every, every one of us wanted to just be there. But that feeling of helplessness was... That was pretty bad. That was a bad day. You know, it's an interesting, um, my relationship with police officers has changed dramatically as I've grown up, uh, as I shared before, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of it has to do with, with being around people like Grandmaster Morrison or, right. or Richard Morrison mm-hmm. and, and, uh, Kurt Brannon and, oh, yeah. and Andy and to know what kind of men they are and like the interactions I've had with you mm-hmm. and, and to see how society is treating police officers and how it's just turned. Because everybody's just, it's really just, you're being manipulated by media. No, oh, I agree. 100%. I mean, it's, there's an agenda. But it's such a, I don't want to say you're, you're set up to fail because y'all are bigger than that. But it's, it's like you have to be hyper vigilant, like you said. Yes. You always have to be, you're never off the clock. You know, stores getting robbed in front of you. Or if there's a car wreck, you don't just get to sit there and sip your latte like you're an accountant. Like, well, Bob will take care of that. Right. You know, um, but to be at that heightened state all the time. But now to know that politically your hands are behind your back because now you have to do this dance. And you never know when somebody's going to have a cell phone out. Or you never know when somebody's going to be trying to make a video for Facebook. Or, um, they, you know, they just got their online law degree and... 30 minutes of research. And so they're going to stick with you a little bit, you know, and every time I got in trouble with the law, it was because I was doing unlawful shit, (laughs) you know, it's because I was a knucklehead, Uh you know, uh, it it was never like I was just walking down the street and some dude walked up to me and like put weed in my pocket. Like, Oh, right. You know, I wasn't, I was never innocent. It took me growing up to figure that out. I just think that we have the society has a lot more growing up to do because it, it, I mean, I feel for you guys because to always be worried about that. I mean, that must make it kind of hard to tiptoe through your job when you just want to kick doors down and, and do it the way you were taught to do it. Right. I mean, the job has definitely changed over the last 20 years. Um, I think you have a lot of officers who Let's just say early on in my career, we took pride in kicking the hell out of the hornet's nest. You know, going to the hot spots and and going and you know going after drug dealers or you know bad folks. You know, hot spots. Going in there, hitting them. Well, when I say hitting them, I mean going in in force and you know putting people in jail. And y'all didn't talk about your feelings afterwards. No, that wasn't the time that for was, that. No. So. So the self-initiated, and that was all self-initiated activity. We know where all the hotspots were. We'd go and hit them hard, put people in jail. You don't see a lot of that anymore. Sounds fun. Sounds fun. It it was fun, but it's kind of the point now where officers don't really. They just they they're going to answer their calls. They're dispatched to. 
answer their calls, do what they got to do, go home safe. Because nobody's going to take away their pension or their life that right. way. I mean, well, it can still happen, but when you're when you do above and beyond and right. going out and doing self-initiated stuff, and it's just not as common as it used to be anymore. And that and that it's the stuff that's happened over the years. Let's you know we can start with what happened in Ferguson. We saw the when what happened there, and I think since then, you know, you've seen and the data shows it. Self-initiated activity from officers since then has dropped dramatically because the perception out there is that we're out there to hurt people because of their color or whatever. And people will take advantage of that and, you know, exploit it. Yep. Well, you know, I mean, nobody wants to hear about data. No, no, we want to talk about uh, actions based on emotions and perception data. Well, that's just, that's too tangible. Yes. That's, that's too easy to prove that you're wrong. Like, no, you're full of shit. Oh, no, no, I feel differently. <laughs> Let me start this riot to prove it. Yeah. That's tough. It's tough. It's now they say the, the they're just saying the badge is heavy. It's, it's heavy. So you have all this stuff that goes, that goes along with this job that you love. You got a heart of service, a protective heart. I mean, you don't go into this line of work without those. No. It's most certainly not for the money. Oh, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. And not for the accolades, not for the fanfare you get, nope. you know. Um, and then you get 20 years down the line and you see kind of the world for what it is. Right. And so when you see young guys coming into the job, what advice would you give them? Remember why you're doing this job. You can't, you can't do this job without caring for people. That's, I mean, I'm a people person. Yeah. I love people, love interacting with people. You can't do this job without, if you don't care for people. And don't, don't ever lose that. Um, of course, stay safe. You know, watch yourself, watch your teammates back, watch everybody's back. We, we actually had a uh, conversation about this. I don't remember who I was talking to. It might, have, it might have even have been a Facebook thread somewhere on a on a police off, on a law enforcement site, but somebody asked a question. Oh, and I'm sorry, it was a it was a Facebook post. Somebody asked a question: Would you, knowing what you know today, would you encourage your son or daughter to follow in your footsteps and be a police officer? And my response to that was, no, I wouldn't. It's, and I, I, now if, if they, if they did, if like, say for instance, my daughter, you know, I, I don't, she wants to go into the medical field, which is awesome. That's, she's, she, that's what she wants to do. If she was to come over, come to me tomorrow and say, dad, I think I want to be a police officer. I would say, okay. I would encourage her, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. But I would never seek somebody out and say, hey, I think you should be a police officer. It's just hard for me to, to, you know, we talked about this, the, how, how it is right now with, as a, for law enforcement as a whole. It's, it's, not, it's not a great time right now for, for us. I would, I would have a hard time encouraging people to kids to be police officer, just considering what's going on right now. Is that difficult when you go do career days and things it like really, that? It is, because I would I want them to do whatever they want to do. Right. If and respect the police and, and yes, it's uh, it's a it's it's just it's a hard question. It's based on everything that's been going on here recently. Yeah. I would not want my daughter to go through what we've all we're all going through right now. I don't want her to have that burden on her heart. I want her to do do something that's going to make her happy and. Whatever, whatever it is, but it's it's a it's, it's a hard thing for me to say because I, I still love the job, but yeah, I would say if there's if there's someone else you want to do, yeah, go ahead and try that first. try that first. But if they if she you know if my daughter would say, hey, dad, I, I know I, I know what's going on. I've I've seen all this stuff going on social media and the media and everything, but I still want to be a police officer. Well, okay, then God bless you. Go forth conquer. Would you, would you be completely honest with them and tell them all of it? Absolutely. Like, this is what you're signing up for? Yes. 
yeah, I wouldn't. There's no sugarcoating that. No, I mean, say for any, any of my family members or friends or their kids. I, I mean, I'm gonna be pretty blunt about it. It's it's not all. It's this, the the job is not what you see on TV. On it's it's uh it's a lot different. But I still don't, don't let me get me wrong though. I, I love I love my job. I love being a for a police officer. I love doing my job every day. Yeah. But, I don't, I don't regret, it, regret my decision one bit. Fort Worth cops are great. I love it. And I'm going to great people. Post a picture of my license plate on the show notes. If any <laughs> of you guys want to just take note, maybe yeah. just remember that. Yeah. But let, let that truck slide. Yeah. Well, um, your daughter proud of what you do? Yes, absolutely. That's good. Yeah, actually, I work a part time job at her school. Oh, do you? <laughs> I do my extra security at her school. I bet that's entertaining. Uh, every other Wednesday, so yeah. Oh, she loves it. She loves it. She loves that I'm there. So we have lunch every day when when I'm working there. So, so yeah. So the department just gives you the. T- does is there anything that the department? Um, are there hotlines or anything like that that people might not know about? Within our department, mm-hmm. like I said, we have in every every one of our police stations. There's the peer support list of officers with the phone numbers and then what about past that if that's not doing it you go just go see the shrink that's an option yeah yes and there i mean there are other i I can't tell you off the top of my head but i've here recently especially i know that there's a lot of organizations out there for that very reason for first responders to reach out uh you know with anonymously you know it's obviously they keep it anonymous and just talk to somebody yeah so you know, it's unfortunate a lot of people have to go to medication. Oh yes. Instead of just uh, talking it out or or doing um, non-medicated therapies, I guess they'd be called like the MDR or or just whatever to 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 help with that trauma. Right. Because you know the thing about trauma that, from what I understand, is is uh, it can affect you in just all these strange ways, things that you wouldn't even understand or you wouldn't even think. Like for me, anger was one of them. Um, reaction to my daughter in certain ways right. um, instead of being like oh baby what's wrong you know let me help you it would be like what the hell did you do that for you right. know just and I'm not that cold of a person and I, I remember always looking at that from the outside in like what the hell's wrong with you don't be a dick and it wasn't until I started doing the work on my past trauma that um, that I started filtering through all of that right but you know if it wasn't for uh, my wife walking with me through that um I was always under the impression that I was just supposed to just deal with it, you know? Right. Um, suck it. Take a knee. Don't be a bitch. Right. Or whatever you've heard, you know, your whole life. Yeah. And that's, that's my biggest fear is that there's men out there that are struggling unnecessarily. And, you know, if you're having to take medication to sleep or to get through the day, and I'm not saying quit, but maybe seek other alternatives. Right. So that you can get off the medication and really deal with the root uh cause you know and my i mean i don't have experience i'm I'm, as far as taking those type of those type of meds heard a lot of horror stories though about the meds and not working and making your situation the situation worse and or the other side effects making yes the side effects that's what i'm talking about um so there's a lot of uh uh Joe Rogan did a podcast and I'll try to find a link to it, put it in the show notes, but he was talking to a guy and this doctor was working with vets with PTSD mm-hmm. that, uh, or, uh, guys that had TBIs, you know, traumatic brain injuries right. and was putting them on hormone replacement. Um, so getting their testosterone and stuff checked. Okay. And he was finding that guys that had the, the, uh, brain injuries typically would have low testosterone and he would put them on this, uh, HRT and get their levels back up, and a lot of their issues went away. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah, I hadn't heard about that. Um, it's you know, and instead of there's there's all these different avenues that you could take, but without the information or without somebody saying, "Hey, man, go go look at this." All right. You just go to your your MD, who's probably had like I don't know twenty minutes of of schooling on this topic thirty years ago, and he's like, "I take this pill." Yeah. Um. Anyways, man, uh, I really appreciate you coming. And, Oh, my pleasure. Taking the time out of your Saturday and, and uh, talking about some stuff that's probably not easy to talk about. Nope, it's not. And so probably maybe 10, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to come up here and 
talk about my feelings, but what I'm going, what I've gone through, what I'm going through, you know, it, but it's, it's an important step. I think uh, and my, my plea is to anybody listening to this, if you're, if you're struggling, if you're on the job and you're struggling, just reach out to somebody, Yeah. somebody. And, you know, one, one of the things that has come up, you know, when I was talking about the, all these horror stories about officers committing suicide, there's a common theme is that nobody knew that he was, this person was struggling. So if reaching out to somebody is what it takes, then do it. And that's the thing is those guys aren't, I mean, you know, they say, well, you'd never know it because they don't talk about it. Nope. They just tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. Keeping it in and wait for that shoestring to break. And I mean, that's a, yeah, that's some heavy shit to carry around. Yep. And I'm, I'm lucky in the, I mean, I have a great support cast behind the scenes. Yeah. And obviously not, not everybody has that. They can't have it, but it, the first step's going to be you got to reach out yeah. and develop a network or a foundation or support cast that's going to be there for you to talk, to listen. So, And for you guys out there that uh, are thinking to yourself, well, how the hell do I call my, my best friend or my partner or, or whoever? And, and, you know, what do I do? Just start calling and crying or like, hey, man, you know, this is all and just unload on them. It's like just in casual conversation, just look at the guy and be like, have you ever had thoughts like this? And if he says, yeah, then start having that conversation. Yep. And that's it. I agree. And if, it, if he smirks at you and is like, no, nah, man, go ask somebody else. Yeah. Don't feel like you're less than or, uh, you know, uh, weird or, or, or weak or anything. He just ha- doesn't have that experience or he's not there yet. Right. You know, and maybe... Maybe he's just not there. So you go ask somebody else and you just keep asking somebody until you find somebody you can talk to. Yep. It's that easy. <laughs> that easy. It's, yeah. That's the way. Yep. I've answered that phone many times for that reason. Yeah. And it's be and be there. Like it, if you're processing stuff, well, good, good on you. If your buddy calls you and says, Hey, I'm struggling. Be there. Listen. I mean, I've, I've been on both sides. Yeah. I've, I've made the phone call and I've answered that phone. So, and you don't have to be a therapist. Nope. You don't have to fix them. You just nope. got to listen yep. because to be clear, I am not a therapist. <laughs> I'm just somebody that was really fucked up at one point and now I'm not as fucked up. Yeah. And that was just through the help of others. Right. And, um, I just feel really called to be open and honest about that and let people, let other men know that you don't have to struggle by yourself nope. and it doesn't make you less than a man. Nope. That's it. Like I said, my hope is that the stigma of that is starting to fall away. Yeah. The stigma of, you know, with first responders, that the stigma that it's reaching out is weak. If we can just get past that, that's just, that's huge. It's a big hurdle. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for being here. You betcha. Thank you for your service to the community. Thank you to the uh, Fort Worth Police Department and y'all's service to our community and all those cops around the country. And, and again, I'll be putting my... Um, License plate on the show notes if you want. <laughs> um, and if anybody, like I said, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a shrink or anything. I'm a welder. What the hell do I know about this stuff? I just have my own experience. But if somebody wants to talk about this or you need somebody to reach out to, uh, I can be reached at Ryan at circleofdadspodcast.com and send me an email and maybe I can help get you pointed in the right direction of where you need to be. Or you can find us on Instagram or Facebook. You do not have to be perfect, but you do have to be present. Love runs downhill. We chase those kids till the day we die. I'm Ryan. I'm your host. Thank you. I just wanted to take a minute. And ask something of all you wonderful people. Um, If you're enjoying this podcast and you enjoy the show, please leave us reviews. Subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcast or Spotify or or whatever it is that you're listening to, whatever platform you use. Please subscribe. Please share us. And please leave us uh, reviews and ratings. Look for us on Twitter at Circle of Dads TM. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook, Circle of Dads Podcast. 
If you have any questions or comments, please send them to Ryan at circleofdadspodcast.com. And the second thing that I'd like to ask you is for help. This is a self-funded show. We don't have any, any advertising dollars right now. And so any little bit helps to help us cover the monthly expenses of production and, and, and being able to get our show to you. So if you'd like to become a Patreon of this, uh, of this movement, please check us out at patreon.com. We are under Circle of Dads podcast. We can be found on PayPal, Ryan at Circle of Dads podcast. Or if you just want to walk up to me on the street and shove some money in my pocket, that's fine too. Just don't do it in the waistband. I think it's a little awkward. And I hope you enjoy the next episode. That was really uncomfortable for me. I don't like asking people for money. We're all growing.